got to meet my pastor, her son, Brother Roger, and then we got to meet his, his, his father, who is just retired. But you can see this morning, he's not retired. He's just moved to a different, different opportunity to preach. Brother Roger Pugh, or Brother, Brother Larry Pugh, would you come and share about it? Well, amen. I'm honored he would call me Roger. <laughs> Well, uh, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel. Daniel, and uh, we are in chapter 1 of Daniel, if you would turn there. Daniel is a great book because it is a precursor to what is going on in the modern world today. We are in a country now that no longer is a Christian nation. Folks, we've, we've passed that line. We are no longer a Christian nation. We now are a secular nation. And the reason why is because we were formed and the, and the Constitution was framed by people who were Christians and unapologetically Christians. And these people developed a nation that was a Christian nation because the, all of their theology and philosophies were that that would be the very best kind of nation to pos that we could possibly have and that we could possibly develop. Well, now we have left that. And we now have a secular government instead of a Christian government. And that secular government has led us to become a secular nation. One thing follows the other. And we as Christians have found that in these last 30, 40 years, maybe 50 now, we have found that more and more we are limited in how we can share our faith and how we can give our testimony to a world, how, that we, how we can share the light that we have and that we are supposed to be sharing and the salt that we have as Christians that we are supposed to be spreading that purifies a nation. And so God has told us, and, and, and many of us, we connect all of this to end time things, and that's correct. However, way back in the book of Daniel, and in the latter chapters, he gets very specific about our time. We're not going to hit that today. We're going to hit something else that's so incredibly important for us right at this moment as a nation. But I want you to know that we have little time left in America before some of the same things that were brought upon Judah are brought upon us by God. Now let me give you a little background <clears throat> Some folks don't know, and so I want you to be sure to understand what's going on here. Way back in the time of David, okay, David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. He was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says about him, in spite of his sin with Bathsheba. He repented of that, and God loved that, and God said, all right, because you've repented, I'll let you go on being king, and I'm still going to bless you. But he had a son named Solomon. 
Solomon ended up, and everybody hears the stories about how Solomon was, when he was young, he was such a good king when he first started out, how great he was, you know, and he was the right choice because he said, Lord, I don't want wealth, I don't want fame, I don't want any of these other things, I want wisdom. And he became the wisest man on earth. And God said, because I'm so pleased that you would ask for wisdom, uh, that that I'm going to make you wealthy and famous and powerful and everything else. I'm going to bless your kingdom. The only thing that I don't want you to do is, I don't want you to multiply horses and I don't want you to multiply wives. (laughs) What does Solomon have a reputation for? Wow, that guy had 900 wives. Imagine having that many bosses. (laughs) You know... Uh, and then he, he built these tremendous stables. After he finished uh, building the temple, building his palace, and building his stables, he built these huge stables. And he had horses uh, just multiplied. I mean, thousands of horses. I want you to know something. You may say, this is very obvious, preacher, (laughs) but I still want to remind you of it. God loves obedience better than sacrifice. Solomon started on a downward trend when he began to make treaties with other countries by marrying their wives, their, their daughters, pardon me, and becoming his wife. That's why he had so many. And as he made these treaties with these other countries, it began to affect him because these wives brought their idols with them. I want you to know, back in the time when they were settling, in the time of Joshua, when they were settling Israel, that would have meant war in Israel. That shows you how far they had already come. And so... Solomon gets all these women in there that have all these idols, and eventually he starts worshiping those idols with those wives. Oh, why don't you come to church with me? You ever hear that before? (laughs) I can't tell you how many times before I was saved, my wife said, why don't you come to church with me? Eventually, he started going to church with them, their kind of church. And by the time the end of his reign took place, he had been idolatrous. He had been questioning the authority of God in his life. And some some terrible things began to happen. And you're probably sitting there right now thinking, well, Brother Larry, when are we going to get out to Daniel? Well, this is very important that you understand how this happened, okay? At that time, Israel was the United Kingdom. They were together, okay? Solomon had a son because toward the end of his reign, Solomon was not very wise. And he had a son. This son's name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam decided, after he was made king and Solomon was gone, he decided... He was going to handle things his way. And instead of using the wise, older counselors that Solomon had, he said, I'm going to use the young guys. I'm going to listen. Man, they're with it. They're cool. Man, you know, that's what the world's like today. We all have to make decisions about what we think is cool. 
You know, I don't think very many things in this world are cool that everybody says are cool. I'm going to be honest with you. I believe you have a choice of either seeing it God's way or seeing it the world's way. And I don't often see it the world's way. Thank the Lord. That's not me. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying, if God's inside you and you're really serving the Lord, you're not going to see things the world, world's way. Rehoboam saw things the world's way because his dad failed. And so Rehoboam began to have a nation. Uh, by the way, he would not be flexible. When the people came to him and they said, you know, we paid all these taxes and we had all our boys drafted and everything else and we don't want that anymore. And you know what he says to him? He goes to his young counselors. The old ones tell him, do, do as they say, ease up on them. His young counselors say, well, man, you tell them I'm tougher than my dad. It's going to be worse than ever. You show them who's boss. <laughs> Real smart, right? And so you know what happens? Ten, whoops, ten of the tribes divorce themselves from the lower tribes. They go up in the north these ten tribes, and they form another nation, and they call that nation Israel, and the nation that's left, Judah, Judah Benjamin, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, call themselves Judah. Now you have two nations instead of one. God never intended that. God intended them to be together. But because of disobedience and unfaithfulness, and idolatry already seeping into the nation, it began to break things up. Have you ever noticed anything like that in America today? Oh, you haven't seen the worst of it. So they have two nations now, okay? The northern kingdom is always, from its get-go, they're always idolatrous. You know why? Because there was a guy called Jeroboam. You remember, real bones in the bottom, Jeroboam's in the top. Both bones are serving right? He's the one in the northern kingdom and he's ruling. And Jeroboam decides, you know what? These people, their hearts are going to go back to the temple and to Jerusalem and they're going to be wanting to go back there and they want, I'm going to have trouble keeping control of my northern kingdom. I guess I know what I'll do. I'll put one in the north of the northern country and the south of the northern country. I'll put these golden calves and I'll say, that's your gods right now and that's where you worship. And they'd already been introduced to idolatry, so they took to it real well. And they never, ever were faithful to God in the northern kingdom. And they're the first ones that God defeated and sent into captivity by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came in and so totally wiped them out, carried off everybody that they could. And when they carried them off, the Assyrians had a habit. They would settle other areas of the world. And at that time, they were powerful, all powerful. They would settle other, other areas of the world with these captives. That's why Israel was spread all over the world. And those, by the way, are called the ten lost tribes of Israel. They were the northern kingdom. Now we're beginning to get to the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah had some good kings. Oh, they had Josiah. They had Hezekiah. But they had some horrible kings. We're studying in Jeremiah in our class uh, about Manasseh, how bad a king he was. 
And yet it tells also later on in the scripture, even though they're being judged for the sins of Manasseh, Manasseh himself got out of it because he repented before he died and he got right with God and God accepted him and forgave him. Shows you God's ready and willing and waiting to forgive us and to accept us back. But it finally got so bad that they began to get more and more idolatrous. And it finally got so bad that at the end, God began to judge Judah just like he judged Israel. You know what began to happen? I'll tell you what began to happen. God began to judge them economically. They began to have all kinds of problems economically. And then God also began to judge them politically. They were no longer allowed after a while. Babylon came in and, and they took Daniel and a whole bunch of the young guys. They were taking them off to be princes. They didn't totally destroy the land. What they were doing is they were going to send these young guys back after they'd gotten them brainwashed into the Babylonian way of thinking. They were going to send these young guys back and let them rule as their puppet kings. Until then, they, sent some other, they, they elected some other puppet kings who were willing to work with them. But it just got worse and worse. In Malachi, you can read where God is, is trying to deal with them. And every time he says, you've done this or you've done that, they say, wait a minute, where have we done that? They couldn't even see their own sins that were so obvious. And God began to deal with Judah, and we're reading in Jeremiah in our class, about how he tells them exactly what's going to happen, that he's tired of repenting or, 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 or holding back his anger, is what he means. He's tired of repenting uh, about wanting to destroy them, and so he's going to go ahead and he's going to judge them. And when he judges them, they're going to die, they're going to be uh, having famine, they're going to go into captivity, they're going to have pestilence, and he tells them all the things that are going to happen to them. Finally, because these puppet kings, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And those guys, they say, well, Babylon's way over there and we're way over here. I'm running this thing. I'm running this show. And they begin to do things and they don't obey Babylon. And so Babylon says, I've had enough of that after two or three of them. I've had enough of that. And they come in and they totally wipe out Judah. They tear down the walls of the city. They totally destroy the temple. They level everything else. They kill everybody that they can. They get a remnant of people and they bring them to Babylon. That's where we are now in chapter 1 of Daniel. Okay? That's your background. You say, well, Brother Larry, isn't that horrible? I mean, did all that happen? I want you to notice that God says, and if you want to look at it, it's even in the book of Jeremiah. 
God says, hey, my precious ones are going to be taken away captive. Nations are going to be judged. Even my precious ones whom I'll protect are going to be taken away captive. Don't you think that we're necessarily not going to have to go through any persecution in America? I hear so many people and so many preachers now saying, you don't have to worry about it. We're not going to go through any of that. The Lord's going to rapture us out. And listen to me, friend. I agree with that wholeheartedly. He is going to rapture us out. But he doesn't say when, and he says nobody knows when. And we know they're already doing the beheading part that's prophesied in the end times will happen. I mean, 20 years ago, we would have thought, that's never going to happen, all that beheading. And now it's common already. Look how quickly we got used to it. There may be a lot of things happen before the Lord calls us out. And we better be ready to be Daniels where we are and have an influence upon who, who, where, we, where we live and on who is around us. we're going to have any effect whatsoever. I heard for 20 or 30 years now, I've heard America needs revival. I want to tell you something, friend. Revival is not going to come until we as a people get out from behind our hiding as Christians in America and, and not want to be politically correct anymore, but be biblically correct. And when that happens, and we get out from that, and we become the salt and the light and the Christians that we are supposed to be, and we do it publicly, and we do it in spite of what may happen to us or what the uh, punishment might be, then we might have revival in America. America has to have a witness to have revival, and it's not just going to be some pastor or preacher standing in a pulpit. It has got to be a mass of people who are willing to step forward and stand for the Lord. Now, that gets me to my message. <laughs> I'll try to hurry through this, but I need, you need to know some things. There is not a single person in this room that will escape some kind of trial or trouble or tribulation in your life. Trials are testing. They're tests from God. Nobody escapes that. Daniel doesn't escape it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't escape it. They have tests that are so impossible that even Babylon is amazed to see the power of the God of Israel. And you know, people around you, when you go through a test and you glorify God in that test and you trust him, are going to see the power of the God called Jesus Christ. They're going to see his power in our lives. And we're going to have an influence. We're going to be light. We're going to be salt to those people. Look with me at Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. It's not a long text. The title of this message is Joy in the Midst of Testing. Daniel, God lays the foundations when he sends these young princes over there to Babylon. Okay? He lays the foundations. And uh, he gets the right person in the right place. That's the first foundation. He gets Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the right place. All right? And then he gets... 
People with the right character, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will not eat the food at the king's table. They say, we're going to eat the food that God told us to eat, the biblical food that we are told that we ought to eat as Jews. And so they go and they appeal. And because their lives have been pure, the guard listens to their appeal. And he says, all right, I'll ask the king. And the king says, all right, let him do it. We'll see, we'll test them. And so they've already been tested. Does it work to make a stand for God and have character? Yes, it does. And the king looks at them and he said, well, you're 10 times better when he finally does the test and he brings them all, all the young men before him that are princes. And he says, you know, you, you, you guys, man, you're 10 times better than all these other guys. And the king notes that in his mind. And finally, the third test takes place. These have to have the right gifts. They have to be people who have ramrod backbones and will stand for God no matter what the world says they're going to do to them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced the fire, and they're fine because they're walking around with Jesus in the fire, the fourth man. And they get delivered. And Babylon says, wow. And Daniel, they find him praying because they know he's a man of prayer. You know, that's the world knows that what we're supposed to be like. You know, it doesn't matter if they know. Because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, God's going to protect us. And that's exactly what he did to Daniel. Look at these verses, 17 through 21. Chapter 1, 17 through 21. As for these four children, that's Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. Now what he's saying is, God added extra knowledge and wisdom. He gave them special gifts for this time in their lives. This isn't some, well, they were born to be you know, exceptional people. No, 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 no. God put them in this place, and then he said, here, I'm going to add these things to you. And he gave them to him. him. And, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, special gift from God. You know, when you get saved, God gives you special gifts as a Christian. You are to use those gifts in service to him, just as they did in this, in this chapter. Look at verse 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, and what, this was a big test, and he said, I would let them eat the pulse, and then everybody else can eat the other things at the king's table, and we'll see who's better. All right, This is now the, the end of the test. All right, now Verse 18, now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them, all was found none like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times. You know what ten is? Ten is double grace. Isn't that neat? I want you to know when you make a stand for God, you have a double portion of grace. I'm not making, a, I'm not making a, a theology out of this. I'm just saying you don't have to worry about having enough grace to get through what God 
assigns to you. They had 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued, even under the first year of King Cyrus, it may have been as much as 70 years. Okay? Daniel had long life. By the way, it's one of the things Psalm 91 promises to the person that loves God. Daniel 1, chapter 17 through 21, is a wonderful little bit of scripture but it's powerful because it tells us that we can have joy in the midst of testing now i don't know what test you're going through but i assure you everyone in this room has some kind of concern some kind of worry some kind of test that you're going through probably right now and you've got some concern and you say what are we going to do about this what am i going to do about this what's our church going to do about this or that I want you to know God has the answer. He doesn't want us taking anything into our own hands, even in our own personal lives, where we think we have the control. My friend, you do not have the control of your own personal life. It is in the hands of God. And when we get so arrogant and so proud that we think we do, that's when we get in trouble. And I don't want to be without God on my side when I'm going through trouble. How about you? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not just accidents of time and place in Babylon. God had it all figured out. He sent them in before. He already had his men in place before the captivity took place. They were placed there by God to provide a presence of truth, morality, and wisdom that would not be worldly but godly. Too many Christians labor under the false assumption that they chose where they live, work, and go to church. But if you truly belong to Jesus, there are no accidents or coincidences with him, and your choice in each of those instances was within his permissible will. I want you to know something. The world would laugh at that. That statement that I just made, the world would laugh at They would just poo-poo that. But my friend, I want you to know it is a critical principle in the life of you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. They don't think like we think. The Bible says even, even his people, your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways. That's why we need to be in the word of God and we need to be in prayer and we need to be people of meditation. Because we want to do everything we can to learn everything about God that we can so that we can be just like God if we can. You have been placed by God to provide a presence wherever you are of truth, morality, and wisdom that will not be worldly, but godly, just like Daniel was. You have, and you will, go through testing to purify your influence upon those around you. That's the way God works. The good news is that even in the midst of testing, God will bring joy to your life. Just as he did to Daniels and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, I want you to know there was joy when they were told they could eat the pulls. There was joy when they were found to be ten times better than everybody else. There was joy when they were given places of responsibility in a foreign land at the very top. Joy. 
There are a set of principles in our text that although not spelled out, do demonstrate contextually the following truths. And here's what they are. I'll give them to you quickly. Though you may go through testing, first one, it will not be constant or consuming. And you know, one of the reasons we fear testing is because we think we're going to have to constantly go through. No, you know, there's ebbs and flows of that stuff, folks. God never lets it go too long to where it breaks you or, or breaks you down or consumes you, okay? It will not be constant or consuming. Notice that there were seasons of testings in, in the midst of their training. They were, by the way, their training period was three years where they were allowed to eat the pulse and the rest of them had to eat at the king's table, okay? Three years. And of course, at the end of their training, that test with the king for which they were training, uh, the test of the things we learn, observing Daniel and his tests, deliver to us two things that stand out. I want you to notice what they are. First one is, testing is never constant. I'm going to break them down for you. Testing is never constant. It will not be without rest in the midst of it. Take heart with that, folks. God knows our frame, the Bible says, and he will not demand more of us than is possible for us. He doesn't do that. Daniel and his friends were tested before that is, the destruction of Jerusalem. They were there in the land. They were carried off. That was the first test. Imagine being carried to a foreign land, having to leave your home when you're young. And then they hear about the destruction of their homeland and that it's totally wiped out and doesn't exist anymore and that they're bringing a bunch of captives. Wow. And then, of course, the tests about the king's court with the pulse and so on. And then they go to the king, and they're, and they're probably, when they stand before the king, they're probably really nervous, okay? Now, you say, well, Brother Larry, I'm sure they were really afraid, or they may not have been afraid. These were people of faith, okay? We don't know that, but I, 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 would, I would say that they were not because they had the courage already to speak up. And so they come to the king, and they take their test, okay? So testing is never constant. Testing, testing is only consuming if you fail the test. You say, oh, well, that doesn't sound fair, Brother Larry. I mean, you know, even in school, you know, if you don't get an F, but you get a low score, I mean, you know, my friends, I want you to know something. God gives you tests to build you, and if you do not pass the test, you're going to have to go through it again. God never gives up on you. He may give you a good break, but eventually you're going to have to go through it again. That's scripture. Testing is only consuming if you fail to lean on God. That's it. When we go through a test, you know what God's looking for? He's not looking for us to tough it out. Man, I'm going to tough this out. I'm going to be strong. Man, I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to be wiser. I'm going to be... No, 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 no. You can't do it on your own, friends. God wants you to lean on him. 
In every case, they trusted him, they prayed to him, and they leaned on him. The whole point of the test is what lies after the test. That's the whole point of it. You think the test is all-consuming. You think the test is everything because you're going through it and you're thinking, oh my, what am I going to do? I'm not going to make it through this test. And you just think the test is just such a great big deal. God says, no, 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 no. You You just be faithful. I'll bring you through the test. You trust me. I will bring you through the test. And once I bring you through, we're going to see some wonderful things happen because you passed the test. You know, what lies after the test, which is our choice according to our, uh, our handling of the test. God wants us to pass the test and go on to usefulness in his kingdom. Why are so many Christians, 80% of the Christians don't do the work of the church or give to the church? Why? I want you to know they haven't passed some tests. Billy Graham years ago so used to say 20% of the people do 80% of the work in a church. I believe it's less than that now. He will continue to test you and develop you. But your test will not be without escape. There's no temptation or test uh, except that which is common to man. And with it, God will give a way of escape. The way of escape is to lean on him. Everybody thinks the way of escape is to get away from the test. Uh uh-uh. You go through the test. That's the way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, by the way, is, is the text on that. Also, notice 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange happening something happened to you okay tests are not something strange to us as christians they're a normal part of the christian life and if we lean on god we will go through those tests bringing not only glory to him but blessings to us and victory to us So though you may go through testing, it will not be constant or consuming. Though you go through testing, it will not be without enablement from on high. God does not leave you alone. He goes through the test with you so that you can be successful in that test. God doesn't want you to fail the test. He's not waiting with a big stick saying, you do the wrong thing, kid, and I'm pow, you know. God doesn't do that. He loves us. He's with us to go through the test. So though you may go through testing, it will not be without enablement from on high. The gifts to Daniel and the others were tremendous. He gave them character. He gave them strength. He gave them uh, a wonderful faith. By the way, all faith comes from God. The Lord does two things regarding temptation or testing. To the godly, he does one. Okay, that's the first one. To the godly, he gives deliverance if they trust in him okay deliverance second peter 2 9 the lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations or tests hebrews 2 18 in that he himself suffered being tested he is able to succor or lovingly tenderly help that's what that word means them that are tested he helps you and me 
So to the godly, he gives deliverance. To the unjust, he gives destruction. 2 Peter 2, 9b. All right, I'll give you 9a. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. But 9b says, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Those who put you in persecution, trials, tests, and temptations will be dealt with by God. But you'll sail through leaning on him. Thing is, we often feel the test when it's the most critical. And finally, we just take it into our own hands when it gets too much. We think too much for us because we haven't stayed close enough to God. And we run from the test. And God says, all right, I'll give you a break. You know, God's so loving and generous, isn't he? We'll wait till you're a little stronger and we'll take you through it again. Like taking the SEC, the second or the third, pardon me, SAT. You can tell I'm a sports fan. It's like taking the SAT the second or the third time. So God, though you may go through testing, it will not be constant or consuming. Though you go through, may go through testing, it will not be without enablement from on high. Though you go through testing, it will always lead to usefulness in your life. I want you to know, if you have ever thought as a Christian, well, you know, God uses some of those people in a great way, and I just don't understand why he doesn't lose, use me. Well, my friends, I want you to know, until you pro, uh, pass the test that he puts into your life by leaning on him, you will not grow spiritually, and you will not learn how to use your spiritual gifts. Amen. And if you use them, you'll misuse them. And by the way, every Christian has at least one gift. You get it when you're saved by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the things he does. Daniel continued in service until King Cyrus ruled, actively in service then, and he lived even longer. Okay? Possibly as much as 60, 70 years. We know it probably at least 70 years because it says so earlier in the, in the Bible. Notice how God wants us to endure testing. James 1, 2. He says, count it all joy when you fall into very, various testing, various trials. Knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh, 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 worketh Patience, and that means endurance, where James is. It works patience that leads to maturity and completeness and enabling of us to be the most useful to God and to ourselves. You say, well, you, what do you mean into ourselves? Well, anything you learn that's going to make you useful to God will be a big help to you. And then notice that how God wants us to finish after testing. James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. In other words, you come through victorious. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I want you to know something, folks. If you love God, he makes some promises to you. 
Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Now listen to this. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold the destruction of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation. There shall no evil befall, befall thee, neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in thy hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. And God says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's how God wants us to finish. With him just showering on us all the blessings like he did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The end result was not only that Daniel and his friends had positive influence upon an empire like we need to have on America today. But also, where they, were, they expected slavery and obscurity, wouldn't any captive expect that? Instead, they received great joy, great blessings, great prominence, and great purity and power from God. To be salt and light to a desperately needy world as Jesus commanded, we must have spiritual purity and influence on others as well. When are we going to do that? Perhaps in doing so, God might give us a great message as well. Just as he did through Daniel about what is soon to come upon this world. Now, my friends, the time has passed us waiting. If we're going to count for the Lord, each one of us has to decide, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you. Lord, I'm going to be a light and I'm going to be salt to this world. May God help us. With all sincerity in our hearts to pray that prayer, very prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is so powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And in these few verses that we see, Lord, oh Lord, we see how you used young men called children by you and your word and how you powerfully use them to influence a nation to keep a remnant from being destroyed and to enjoy blessings for 70 years and then be sent back to the